y'all. It's time for Rolling Dice and Taking Names. In this episode, the guys review Carson City and Siliconvania. I will join Marty for a review on Wandering Towers. Our sons join Marty for a review of the Lord of the Rings Magic Commander decks. And Marty and Tony will continue filling out their board game collection with their top three worker placement games. Hello and welcome to Rolling Dice and Taking Names. This is episode number 296. I should have been a... Why are you... You've already interrupted your face. Yet that was really loud in my ears when you said hello. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, I'm sure you can adjust the level so it's not that loud for our listeners. I'm Tony, and the, uh, the name was Should Have Been a Cowboy by Toby Keith. I'm sorry. This is Marty. I don't know any Toby Keith anything, so I don't know what this is. That's okay. I didn't expect you to know this. It was just one of those that would fit perfectly in with something that we've experienced. Now, I do want to start off by saying we are recording tonight on Father's Day, and happy Father's Day to you, sir. A happy Father's Day to you, but people keep saying that to me, but I honestly don't know where those boys came from. I understand. You know, back <laughs> back in the olden days, uh, things would happen, and nine months later, kids appeared, and people had no clue how that happened. They couldn't associate it. They didn't figure it out. They didn't know how these things happened. Growing up, I heard it's because you kissed a girl while she was wearing a bathing suit. I never heard any of that. <laughs> You never heard that one? No. I, I went, you went to Union County schools. I went to Charmex schools. We were a little bit more progressive than you. We actually, you know, we had that. But I, I am, so I'm going to let you get talking here because I am right now getting ready to enjoy my Bowberry biscuit from Bojangles. Okay. Okay. I'm jealous because I got the email that says, hey, for Father's Day, come in and get, is it two? You get two of them, right? Man, that looks really good. So let's explain for people. So Bojangles is a, is a local fast food restaurant, and they have something called a Bowberry Biscuit. Uh, and the which, chicken, chicken. Let's make sure we say that, chicken. They feature chicken. Yes, that's their main is fried chicken, but they have a dessert called a Bowberry Biscuit. Now, they're also known for their biscuits. So what they do is they take their regular biscuit dough, and I guess mix in blueberries. And they make it a little bit sweeter. They make it sweeter. Ah, because blueberries are mixed in the dough, right? Yes. Okay. So but it's a blueberry muffin with uh, with a consistency of a of a biscuit mix. Yes. But it's definitely a sweeter biscuit than what they normally serve and it's a um they do all different types of shapes during you y'all have heard about us talk about it. they did footballs, they've got hearts. But yes, that's that's what bowberry biscuits are. They do sweet potato pies like you like McDonald's apple pies. They do the mm-hmm. sweet potato and they just just brought out a bunch of those too. Mm-hmm. When I walked in so the Bowberry Biscuit, the, the the treat for me is when you order one and mm-hmm. it's hot mm-hmm. and they take the vanilla icing or mm-hmm. sugar icing or whatever it is, and it's in a squeeze bottle. And basically, they just cover the top of it and it just melts. Oh, that looks really good, man. I'm thinking, but should I ride into the local town here and get that now? <laughs> so uh, you, you mentioned that. So I'm, I'm like, Donna, they're doing the same thing they did over Mother's Day. So here's the app. So order it up. So she types in Father's Day, and of course, the two Bowberry biscuits are free. And so I bring them out to the car. They had just pulled them out of the oven, just did exactly what you said. And she says, are we going to save them to later? I said, no, we're going to eat one now. And sure enough, hot. Oh, my gosh. Icing. My my girl can definitely clean a plate when it's uh, the sugary icing. Oh, it, oh, it was so good. So did you get anything else or just the biscuit? I just got the free stuff. I'm what what What's Vanessa's at motto? If it's free, it's me. 
Yeah, that's that's that's. And it. by yes, the way, yeah. not not that I'm beating the the system or anything. If you go to another Bojangles after your uh-huh. order, they don't have a limit on the number of times you can put in the code. Wow! If all of y'all have the app, mm-hmm. just simply sign in with Google. Every one of you could do Father's Day. There's no required purchase at all. You just go in and get. And the girl said, she goes, "We have produced so many Bowberry biscuits today. It's ridiculous." Well, it brings people in, and oh, they does. just hope that. Normally, people will buy something else with the Bowberry Biscuit, but you, uh, it's like, uh-uh, I know how to play the system. I, I'm going to play the system because that's all I wanted. I mean, I knew what was coming for dinner tonight, so I was like, I, I am good. So, yeah, definitely we need to shorten up this recording just so that you can head out to the local <laughs> Bojangles because I know, I'm surprised Vanessa didn't make you do that because it's free. I don't think she knows about it. Oh! Yeah, I, I don't think she does. Or We probably would have been there, especially when she knows that there's two. Mm-hmm. That's going to take the boys with you. Everybody get on that app. Yeah, baby. <laughs> I don't, I don't need a bow, 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 bow. I can't even speak. I don't, I can't, I'm so excited. I don't need a bow bear biscuits a thing though. I, I don't either. And of course they did it all weekend. So you could have loaded up yesterday and load <gasps> up today. Oh, wow. So yes, that's the thing. So anyway, father's Day's here. Nothing special on my end. I don't know about you. I know your son's coming in. That's awesome. So you get to celebrate with yeah. him. Of course, the timing of this is really weird because by the time this releases, Father's Day will have been weeks ago. Yes. Because you and I have some weird uh, schedules coming up. I'm getting ready to go out of town to Daytona. Then you're going out of town the next week for work. So it's like, all right, we need to get an episode in the can to make sure we have one to release on our on a regular. Man, he's taking another bite, y'all. And it looks mm. really good. Mm. Mm. That's so good. <laughs> well, you can't let it get cold. You no, you cannot. That is, once it gets cold, it it hardens up and it's not nearly as good. No. Yes. Our, and what's interesting for people they may not know is you're going to Daytona, Daytona, Florida. Everybody knows that's a great beach getaway. But are you going for the beaches, Marty? No. The main reason why we're going is because the boys, uh, my son's coming in uh, from Montana. They're going to go to a convention called CEO, which is a fighting game championship. Street Fighter Six just came out, and they're going to compete in the Street Fighter Six tournament there. Now, they're not expecting to obviously place or anything like that. We're just going to go have some fun, and uh, so imagine basically it's it's, it's going to be the same week as Origins. So Origins just recently occurred. It happened to be the exact same weekend. Imagine the exact same type atmosphere. You've got vendors, except it's vendors for a lot of video game type parts for controllers, fighting mm. sticks, etc. Buying a bunch of software. And then there's just tournaments going on all over the place for different types of fighting games. There's an open arcade where if you have a spectator ticket, you can just go play in the arcade all you want. So it's a pretty big deal. And then on Sunday night, uh, they have an arena, uh, like a basketball arena, where everybody comes in and watches the final championships. And I'm sure I'll give some talk on it when I come back on how the experience was. But yeah, that's where we're going. And I'm sure this is twitched and e-sported and all that because it's huge. Uh, I would assume it will be on Twitch somewhere. Yes, 100%. Mm-hmm. CEO should probably be streaming somewhere. Yep. Yeah, and then you get back from that, and then isn't Southern Fried Gaming Expo f- on its heels? Southern Fried is the last weekend of July. Because oh, oh, it's a month away. I, th- I, was, I thought it was around the 4th of July. No, it's, it's at the very end because the next week we're going to Gen Con. Okay. So yeah. I come back from Southern Fried on a Sunday, and we leave out on the following Tuesday for Gen Con. 
Yes. Speaking of Gen Con, we're still looking forward to those we're going to see at our strike tournament. Tony, you and I started filling our calendars, different things we're going to see and uh, different games that we're going to get to experience. We signed up for a demo of Star Wars Unlimited. Yes. And we'll be we'll be doing our regular nightly recordings at Gen Con again, where we can give our thoughts on the stuff that we saw each day. That's fun. It's always fun to do that. That's, that's always fun. I'm sure the cameras will be rolling and maybe there'll be some videos from that, from our attendance. Uh, especially if it's funny stuff, be walking the vendor halls and then in the evening heading over to the hotel, crashing somewhere on a table to play some games that we either got then or just maybe we can hook up with uh, Mr. Rob from Blue Peg and Pink Peg. Uh, somebody else can be his partner for some spades. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I know in the past we've done Travis from yeah. Queen Games. I know David Waybright, I think. Rob will be staying with David Waybright, so I know they'll be hanging out a lot, so maybe they'd get together. Well, Waybright lives in Indy. We just need to go over to his house and eat his food and drink his drinks. And Why don't we crash at his place? I don't think there's enough room. I've I've been over his way, so oh, that's okay. okay. Uh, yeah, and that's that's north, and we'd have to rent a car. Or we could always Uber. We could always Uber. I, I that's hear that's true. a thing. I hear I hear yeah. people do that now. I don't, I'm not familiar with it, so. Yeah. But yeah, looking forward to Gen Con. So a lot going on. Got CEO, then got Southern Fried Gaming. If you uh, tickets are still available for that, it's supposed to be bigger than ever before. They are increasing the size of the floor space for the arcade space. So it's the Ooh. the regular convention hall size that it is. They're adding even more space. They're increasing the size of the tabletop gaming area. I'm going to be doing a session there with uh, Will Meadows from uh, Tantrum House on uh, tips for podcasting and uh, making videos for YouTube. So if you are want to get into content creation, we're going to be going over some tips and technical tips uh, doing that. I know there's an unmatched tournament that's being ran there from uh, One Board Family. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm. that, uh, and, mm-hmm. it's, and it's being sponsored. He's eating another bite, y'all. It's being sponsored by Restoration Games, so we're going to have some cool prizes there for playing unmatched. Uh, so that'd be good too. So they're trying to expand the board game presence and we're trying to help them do that. We'll have a big time down there. So, someday I will get down there. I mean, I know it's not, maybe, maybe 2024, 2024. We'll see where it is on the calendar. Well, I mean, you, I mean, it's only four hours away. Yeah, I know, but it's still mm, hot Lana in, in the middle of summer. Yeah, I know you're indoors, but all right. We um, had a big Saturday gaming event. Yes. We had our quarterly, and I'm going to call them quarterly because that's how I'm putting them on the calendars from now on. And we can only do this quarterly. We could do it more. I know we could. Someone you see on our videos, Bert, was hosting game day because it was his birthday. And he said, you know what? Why don't y'all come celebrate my birthday and play games? And mm-hmm. we said, of course. Are you feeding us? And he, he, he did. And he mm-hmm. gets to pick the games. Mm-hmm. And so you're feeding us, you're giving us drinks, not that it's all about the food, but anyway, we, so we headed over there. He has a very nice setup. We enjoyed it, had a great day and we got to play a game that Marty loves called Clash of Cultures. Notice how he prefaces that, that Marty loves and he has no input whatsoever. Well, that's what the whole show notes is about. (laughs) The experience that we had playing Clash of Cultures. I will preface this, and it'll be a shock to everybody in the game group, that I will play that again. Mm -hmm. Okay? Okay. I have no problem playing that again. (laughs) So I did a little math after this. So for those of you who don't know, there's seven rounds. Is that correct? Six rounds. I thought there were seven. 
Oh my gosh. You you talk, I'll check. Now I can't remember. All right. So either way, six or seven. And then every round there are three turns, and everybody gets to do their turn, which involves three actions. So I'm calculating it out. Now my math is off if it were only six, but not seven. Because I thought we said there were uh, 63, you would be taking 63 actions. Six rounds. I'm looking at the round track marker in the rule book. All right. So that's six rounds. Six yep. times three is 18. 18. And times each, three. Well, times, is it, well, it's times 12. Every round, you're going to get nine actions, right? Right. Nine times six. Which is 54. 54 times yep. four. Because there's four people. Oh, 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 I see what you're saying. How many, yes, how many actions, yes, 54 times four is 216. 216. Hey! hey, hey, hey. Math, it's not that hard. (laughs) It's it's a struggle, but it's not hard. And yeah, yeah, well, anyway, that was right off the top of the head. Yeah, 216 actions taken during the entire game. And I will say that, you know, when you told me that, and, and you're like, ah, oh, you might want to count on four to five hours playing this game. Because I had forgotten how long it takes. Mm-hmm. How long did it take us? Didn't it take us five hours? I thought it was four. And, I thought Bert said at the end it was four and a half. Oh, four and a half. Yes. All right. Four and a half hours. So that is uh, 240. Four times 60 mm-hmm. plus another 30. Mm-hmm. Is 270 minutes. 270 minutes. And we are going to divide that by 214. It took us 1.26 minutes, minutes per, per turn, action. Per action. Yep. Some took more than their allotted time. <laughs> <laughs> I did sometimes. I'm not going to, I'm not going to cast. Well, I th- I think we all did. I think we all did because that's a game where really you can kind of plan out what you, what you think you might want to do. Clash of cultures is basically a civilization style game. You're playing a faction. You're trying to get advancements in your tech tree. You're recruiting army units. You're exploring. You're trying to build out cities. So you have an idea what you're going to do, but somebody else may do something that you aren't expecting and you may have to totally change course of action. For I got a prime example. Mm-hmm. Prime example. Towards the end of the game, I had set myself up for getting a couple advancements in order to work towards a potential, an objective card to give me two points. Uh, right down the coast for me on the map, Bert had two boats out in the sea. He boarded army men into his boats, meaning that they could sail somewhere and disembark and possibly cause a battle. Well, I have a city sitting on the port right next to him, so I'm going, crap. My leader's sitting there. Next turn, he can just come over there, probably easily wipe out my leader. Taking out another faction's leader is worth two points. So I had to totally throw away my turn and instead recruit and build up that city with some forces to try to thwart him coming over there. So when stuff like that happens, it probably takes more than the allotted amount of time because you just kind of have to think through a new turn. 
Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of stuff you have to decide on. You have to decide on, all right, I need to get these amounts of resources in order to build these certain buildings. And am I going to hit the right allotments? And will I have any restrictions? Do I have the right technologies advanced that allow me to do the certain things? Did I forget something? Did I forget to study, you know, do this advancement so that my troops can move? Oh, wait, what are all my cards telling me? Oh, look, at uh, did Marty just w- open up his city for an easy takeover? What, what is uh, Mark doing? Oh, what, what, oh, look, there's an event that occurs because, you know, you just advanced three of your technologies and therefore an event hits and now barbarians are irritating you. A ton of stuff going on that you're absolutely right. Things can change, not on your turn. So when I got home, Donna goes, well, how was it? I said, told her, you know, it was pretty good. We had a, we had a good time. And she goes, well, how many games did you play? And I said, two. She goes, just two. (laughs) That's what I told Vanessa too. (laughs) And she's like, we don't have those, right? And I said, oh, no, no, no. (laughs) I'm like, there's no chance we will ever have these two games. Clash of Cultures is one of those that requires a Saturday afternoon. And we haven't played in, I think, about two years. I think Bert looked it up. It's the last time that we played. Yes, it is a heavier style game. To me, it's just really one of those games that thematically the stuff that you're doing feels like I'm building out a civilization and exploring and trying to build cities and possibly conquer others. I just like the theme. I think the pieces, I love looking across the board. Oh, look, Mark just threw a couple big elephants on the board. Those elephants are right near me. I must do something about that. Mm-hmm. You know, I got to, tar- you know, build some defenses up or something. I don't know. It's, I just think it's a clever game. I know that he, Tony kept getting up and walking around the table uh, I know he was getting pretty bored, and, but for some reason, that game for me, it never feels long because I guess I'm just engaged the entire time. I was surprised it was four and a half hours. I really was. Okay. So fairness, uh, I got up because first off, restrooms and I need to do my wellness step so I can get credit for the day and I might as well do that while y'all are going through your turn because we've already stated what you do, what Bert does, and what Mark does, and by the time it gets back to me, it may completely change what I thought I was going to do. I may have a plan that is going to work, but if y'all do a whole bunch of stuff, that that just doesn't help. So, yeah, I was looking around. It was, it was just one of those things. Plus, you know, the chairs get tired on your bottom. No, that's true. My frustration yesterday in playing this game is that I never felt like I could get things rolling. Mm-hmm. And I never felt like I could get ahead of the curve, even though I did decent. I mean, I came in third out of four. That's fair. But I beat the guy who's never played before. No, he has played. Mm -hmm. Everybody's played. Everybody's played. But still, it was one of those that I was like, okay, there are a lot of little rules that I was forgetting about that I need to take take into account. And And just never felt like I could get things going and that was the frustrating part for me. It was just, also, is there a way to kill your own leader? I, I mean, you can swap him out for a different leader. I know that you can kill him. Okay, you can pay to swap him out. That's what I should have yeah. done. Because yeah. he, he just was not helping me at all. Enjoyed it. I will play that again. I know that's a shock to you probably, yeah. but I will do it again just to try to do better. To, do, to accomplish, as I said this on multiple games, I want to do better. This is one of those games. I'm not so much worried about y'all as I am. How can I do better? 
Yeah, I will say one thing I like about this game is I feel like every time you play, it'll be totally different because there's so many advancements you have on your board, you can't do them all. And we always play with the expansion where you're playing with a, a different a country or a faction mm-hmm. like the Babylonians or uh, Rome. The Az- Aztec, Rome, China, etc. And they kind of guide you the way you may want to play the game, which I like. Otherwise, it's kind of open-ended. I like the fact that your leaders and uh, your country will kind of dictate, okay, you might want to go this direction. So if you play with a different leader and country every time, you'll probably take different technologies. I think the tough thing about that game is you're right. There's a bunch of little rules that you may forget, but also later in the game, you may have unlocked stuff that you forget about. Mm-hmm. Oh crap. I forgot because I did this. This is cheaper. I should have been doing that. Yes. You know, that sort of deal. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, I wish I had a little iPad sitting beside me with a, I'm going to put in this move and up pops. Okay. With this move, you did this. Yeah. Because you've done these. And I'm, I'm sure someone's got all fancy may have already designed that. I don't know. But this game is old. I, it was my game of the year two years ago. Right. But I think, wasn't it a reimp? It was. So yeah. the original designer modified it, changed some stuff. So this is the Clash of Cultures monumental edition from WizKids mm-hmm. that they released. So I still had a great time with it. And we also, the other game that we did get to play is a game that I experienced for the first time that you got to play, which is Carson City. Mm-hmm. Also an older style game. That I thought was actually, uh, that was really good too. I If you've ever played Kalos, the resolution of actions is very similar. You have a track of actions and you place workers on it. And then at the end of the round, after you finish placing workers, you go around the track. And when you get to a certain action where there's a worker, you resolve it. Mm-hmm. And you're trying to get tiles on the board to build out Carson City. You're, bu- you're buying land and how the buildings that you get may can give you some certain points depending on the building. So there's a lot of resource management, tile placement, et cetera. But I like the action resolution of the of the workers. I thought that was clever. And the um, Carson City, they've just closed out, or two weeks ago, they closed out the Game Found for another production of it, the big box mm-hmm. version, which Bert had on the table, which had the, all the wooden pieces. And th- my second time playing this, you know, you really can't judge the first time, but I will say, I, I do not want the rodeo ever again. So that was, that was an expansion, correct? That is an expansion to their base, okay. yes. And I was, I'm still not a fan of that. And that is, that I think forces you to have to go and buy a horse uh-huh. and to use the rodeo. And when, oh, when you place a cowboy, he then, you can then use the horse placement and it gives you a special ability. And at the end of the game or at the end of the round, whoever has the most rodeo points won the rodeo and gets a token which ends up being some type of multiplier for victory points at the end. And we're basically calling this the kale slingshot <laughs> because our friend Mark kale, he did. He, he said you won the first game with this strategy, yeah, same strategy. And, and yeah, so we had this term that we like to use called slingshot, where if somebody's at the very end of, of the victory points and they somehow find a way to swing uh, fly past everybody by the end of the game, that's exactly what Mark did. Bert was firmly in the lead. And when we get to the end and start calculating victory points, uh, Mark just basically slingshot ahead of everybody. And he did it with that rodeo thing. And I even said my first time playing, I said, I kind of wish that wasn't there because it was another thing I needed to focus on as a first time player. I wish I didn't have to worry about that mm-hmm. and could have just learned the basic game first. And nothing is, I know Bert enjoys that expansion, mm-hmm. but I think yeah. it's one that personally I'm not big on two. Now uh, we could have stopped and we could have tried to competed with Mark, 
But then it mm, becomes mm-hmm. a mini game inside of the game, I, in my opinion, where I'm now I have to track this horse being placed here. And then, oh, Mark, I got to compete against you. So I'm not going to get that. So I need to t- steal that point away from you. So now <clears throat> everybody is count- concentrating on buying a horse. You got to spend $4 to get a horse so that you can compete in the rodeo. You, I tried, I completely avoided it. And I said, I'm not going to play this game. And I didn't play the game very well at all. And, I, and that's okay. I'll try a different strategy this time. It somewhat worked, but I, I like the fact that playing with four, we played it with three last time. I enjoyed how congested the map got with, with yeah. the buying, buying the lands and the buildings. I understand why this game is so well liked. Uh, I think the theme of it, of building out Carson City and buying property and building buildings and, hey, if I build a mine near some mountains, it gives me victory points. Mm-hmm. And, hey, if I build a ranch out by itself where there's nobody out there, they score a lot more points until urban sprawl happens and then they take over my ranch and I don't get as many points. I think that's very clever. I like the fact that you can fight over spots on the action selection track. Mm-hmm. You know, usually in worker placement, oh, I'm going there, nobody else can go there. You can go there against somebody else and you have basically a fight. You're going to count the number of pistols that each of you have earned over the course of the game. And maples, your firepower. Basically, your firepower is cowboys and, and cowboys and guns. Yep. And then that's your base value. And then you roll a D6 and whoever has higher knocks the other person off the uh, slot and they get to take it. I like that. I think thematically that's kind of cool. There's the random. And then you can also use the um, tiles that you would put out um, blindly that have a number on them. And then you, I think it's discarded. We've yet to use that because I always like the random aspect of it. Yeah. Versus uh, these tiles that you're a play is okay. Now that's out of the game. So now I know that you don't have that capability. But once again, you got to say, all right, well, how do I compete for that? I need to go get the guns. Am I? And I do like that one thing. If you lose the um, shootout, you get to take that worker and put it back on your placement board and be able to use it next round. Since you didn't get the ability to use him this round, you get to use him the following round, which I, I like. I, I really yeah. like that you're, you're not being you're penalized. You're not penalized. Yeah, you're not being yeah, punished yeah. for it. For taking the, uh, taking the chance. It's a clever game. Definitely one that I would play again. I don't believe I need to own it, but I'm glad I know somebody that does. Mm-hmm. Same here. I always wanted to own it, but after mm-hmm. playing it the two times so far, I don't think it is one that I would put in my collection because outside of y'all, there is no chance anybody else will ever play this with me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that was it was a good it was a good game day. I really enjoy these what you're calling quarterly game days where we get to pull out these beasts of games that we just normally don't get to the tables. It was fun. Yeah, next one is Mega Moose Con in September. Uh does it have to be that long? Well, if I look at your schedule and my schedule, I mean July's already booked. And then August is coming. So we maybe we can squeeze one in August. We'll see how yeah, it maybe, goes. Maybe August. We'll just see how it goes. But yeah, those those are always a, a, a lot of fun too. So yeah, that was a was a great game day. Now I see you have on here a quick movie draft status. I don't know if we have time in our show to really talk about that. So we may have to just skip that part. I just appreciate you running the numbers. That's okay. I was <laughs> going to do it, but I was like, there's not been enough out for me to even bother with this. And then you're out here posting it on our Discord channel where they are constantly talking about stuff over there. Thanks to our Discord, uh, those over there. It has been uh, great. 
to see the conversations, the help for one another in our adulting channel where you actually have to be an adult. And then we recently had a big star come on to the Discord channel. Uh, this designer, I don't know if you've heard of him, this David Thompson character. Yeah, he sh he yeah. showed up and he was helping us out a little bit. So if you got any questions on Undaunted, War Chest, or anything else of his, hey, he's over there. Come join yeah. and have that discussion. Yeah, no. So yeah, I've, I went ahead and posted some numbers for the draft. And I, I can always say right now that I will be drafting first next year. Now, this is being released well after it's recorded. So this was release weekend for both Elemental and Flash. Flash is projected to come in at $55 million for opening weekend, which is even worse than what Black Adam did. Ooh. And Elemental is going to be, I think, in the $35 million to $40 range, which means it is the worst opening ever for a Pixar movie. I picked those. <laughs> yeah, you did. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. And I did not pick Guardians of the Galaxy when I had the chance to. And for some stupid reason, I took Transformer. So I can't wait to pick first next year. Mm -hmm. Well, and I had the last pick in our regular list. And I took The Machine, which was stupid of me. Because I think there was like three picks I could choose from. And mm -hmm. I picked The Machine to support the one that I said we needed to talk about and it's rocking a big 10 million and it's done. I think it is already streaming. At least you got spider verse, which is a, no, I got yeah. fast and furious and oh yeah, I did. I did. Spider get, fast yeah. X spider verse, the machine and voyage Dementor, Demeter. Yeah. The one that are, are ones out in left field. Yes. So yeah, at least you got Spider-Verse. That's good. And, and FastX is doing fine. The thing is though, is FastX does better internationally, which also Transformers does better internationally. And I skewed the numbers and I, I really screwed up there. So yeah, that's where we are right now. But as always, it's fun. I, I did go see all those movies. Mm -hmm. I saw The Flash and it was, uh, it's interesting. Critics tend to like it. The audience tend to like it, but nobody went to see it. So <laughs> it's very... Very, very interesting. So yeah, uh, join our Discord channel. I will keep that list, or we, one of us will keep that list up to date over the months. And like I said, we got a lot of a, a lot of things going on over there. So go to our website, Roll Dice, take names, join our Discord channel, and you can also support the show over there. We would greatly appreciate it. We have links over there for supporting the show, whether it be a one-time donation or a regular occurring donation. And Tony and I have been working with an artiste recently and we may have some maybe some swag coming out with a brand new design we can't wait to show to y'all in the future it's bad enough that marty gets in my wallet from time to time and makes me spend money mm -hmm. i uh, he he does he just thought well you know did you see this or oh man i think you'd really enjoy this just drops a few nuggets here and there uh, can we just say this? I've been doing this for probably like 25 years, right? Ab this absolutely. This isn't anything new. <laughs> I mean, you're in this hobby because I said, Tony, there's this really cool card game. Like mm -hmm. you play, you, you collect these cards and you play a game. You should check this out. And here we are today, 25 years later. 25 years later, he's in my wallet. Well, he's not the only one in my wallet. Miniature Market is in my wallet as well. MiniatureMarket.com. They've been a great sponsor of Rolling Dice and Taking Names. And you know what? It's like I'm paying myself as much as they are into my wallet. Hey, 
why don't I just, you know, if it wasn't for getting the game, here I am sending them some money. So recently they had a big 65% off sale on games you voted for. So Marty, being in my wallet, said, you know what I just picked up from GM2? And I said, what's that, Marty? He goes, the British way, counterinsurgents at the end of the empire. I said, well, that sounds good. Um, I'll, I'll think about it. Well, I think you should think about it because over at Miniature Market, it's in that cell. And they had an incredible price at that. And I was like, I don't know if I want to pull on this. Well, up pops the Daily Deal. And the Daily Deal has something I want, a neoprene mat that for Warfighter. How can I not go ahead and get these things? These deals at Miniature Market, the, the 65% off that, that occurred over Father's Day, these were not just games that were, you know, five, six years ago. These were current ones that are out there you never do know the daily deals uh, there's something there that you don't know you need they are already planning for you to buy it because that's the purpose of the daily deal that's what miniaturemarket.com is of course i had to order the british way and the warfighter neoprene mat thank you miniature market now i will say this tony you talked about recent games how good is the deals british way just came out in may here it is in june the regular price is $79. They're selling it for $45. So if you went out to GMT to order it, it's going to cost you $79, but only $45 at the miniature market. So like you said, it's not old games they're trying to get rid of. They're throwing in some new stuff there too. Whew. I'm glad I'm in your wallet because we're going to have some fun. So vampires have to work too. And they have a new town called Siliconvania from WizKids. This is a game designed by J.B. Howe, and it is all about designing your vampire neighborhood by doing a silent bid, getting tiles, placing them on the board, and then having a scoring objectives at the end of the game, which are dealt with by your specialist, which you will also draft during the silent bid. And it is a game that is really centric around yourself. Is there interaction? Yes, with the bidding. But is there gameplay between the people? No. This is a solo type board game. I played it with two. I've played it with three. And I've enjoyed it every time. It played very well with two, Marty. I, th I thought it was a very good game with two. Donna enjoyed it. Mm. Now, she typically like, likes bidding games, right? She loves tile placement games. So that's oh, why I saw it. tile placement that she likes. What's interesting about this is during the bidding phase, you're actually playing two different cards for two different bids. You have a hand of one through seven cards, uh, which are your silent bid cards. And those are used to bid for the tiles, a set of two tiles that you're going to be able to place on your player board for developing your neighborhood. Then you have a specialist card that you also play that has a value on it. And that will be used to determine who gets to, to draft a new specialist card that's out there on the market uh, on your turn. So I've never played a game where you're doing two bids at the same time for two different things. And it resolves in different orders depending. So I might not get, you mean, you may get to bid on one. I mean, mm -hmm. you may get to resolve your bid. Then I resolve mine. Then it goes over to somebody else. Then it eventually comes back to me sort of deal. Yes. So yeah, because the tile placement is one and then the specialist is another. Mm -hmm. and about the specialist so everybody's like I, I, we don't so if marty and i do our special bid to, to grab tiles and he and i both put down a three bid silently and play our specialist as well and we tie the tie is broken by which specialist has the 
Higher bid number. Higher bid number. Or lower bid number. Yeah, because they're, they're, they're uniquely numbered from one to like 70. So there's always an easy tiebreaker to look up mm -hmm. because you start, like I said, the silent bid cards are one through seven. And typically after you play them, you don't get to use them again unless there's ability to pull one back into your hand. We're talking about the tiles. There are seven different tiles that you're going to possibly, possibly be placing on your board. And depending on how they're oriented, will determine your scoring objectives near the end, provided you play those specialists. And this to me, Marty, was probably one of the things I enjoyed the most about it. What do I mean by this? So in rounds f uh, near the end, beginning on round four, when you draft a specialist, you then decide to put a specialist out in your tableau, and that will be how you're going to score your neighborhood. You may say, oh, okay, well, that's great. But you may be giving up a specialist that has some very good powers because every specialist has these unique powers to them. But I enjoyed that, that you would have to start structuring your city and then start looking at your specialists that you receive because they're going to determine your scoring. You can't just willy-nilly score everything. you got to decide what you want to do. Also, it is important to realize that you are limited in the number of specialists that you can have down to be able to score them. I really enjoyed that part of the game. I thought that was very, I, I don't ever remember playing a game like that. Mm -hmm. No, I, I don't either. Um, and the specialist cards have three things on them. One, the bid value. Mm -hmm. Two, when you play the card as a bid, there's a special ability at the bottom, which may do things. It may give you vampire meeples, which will be valuable at the end of the game, because if you can put them on uh, tiles that have like a little coffins on them, at the end of the game, for every vampire you have on tiles, that counts as a point. So it's mm -hmm. in-game scoring. Uh, you may be able to move up. There's two different tracks uh, in the game, a survival and innovation track. You may be able to increase your uh, pawn or player piece along those tracks. By doing that, it may give you special abilities when you cross certain spots on those tracks. And then, like Tony said, like you said, there's a third thing that's the in-game objective. And the only time that even comes into play, like you said, is it rounds four through eight? So these specialist cards have three different things that you have to decide how you want to use them, which, like you said, is very unique. And those those objectives for the end of the game is literally what you're shooting for uh, when you're placing your tiles. Because one of them may be, okay, one row has all different buildings. If you do that, you're going to get X amount of victory points. Hey, for every blood bank that's beside a mausoleum, we're going to give you some victory points. So you kind of at the beginning of the game kind of decide, okay, I have these specialist cards with these objectives. I'm going to start building my neighborhood to work towards that objective right there. And then in rounds four through eight, I'll play this card so I can trigger that objective at the end of the game. It All that is to me is unique. I just haven't seen anything like that. Yeah, I, I haven't either. There's set collection with animals. That based on there's you know the various uh, different animals that you have, you will gain um, victory points from that. If you have eight different animals, you can get 25 victory points, and that's a huge thing to accomplish. Because let me tell you, collecting those animals are part of a tile that other people may want to use in scoring their board. It's the groundskeeper. There's the blood, you you know, where you've coagulated or clogged. Your, your blood has all come together. You get victory, victory points for a single cluster of orthogonally adjacent buildings that have blood on them. And you can modify these buildings too with various objectives as well by, by as you like, you know, going around the 
in the van. I'm sorry, I am stumbling on my words. The survival innovation track. You can add little relic tokens that will go on top of existing tiles on the board, which may modify the icons that are on them. Maybe it adds some blood droplets. Maybe it adds some extra coffins. Because at the very end of the game, for all the vampire meeples that you have, which during the game is actually a resource that you use, but at the end of the game, if you, you start placing all your little vampire meeples on your tiles with coffins, and like I said, those count as victory points too. So even though there's a lot of little different ways to score, I like the fact that you really, at the first half of the game, you're just trying to set up your neighborhood. And then after you've seen the tiles that you've drafted, then you start worrying about those in-game objectives. So you haven't got to decide in the first couple of rounds. You can see the tiles that you were able to draft and then go from there. Fun game. Simple game to explain. I, I did. I was able to, I know when you were going over the rules with us, you were like, I, I need to see how it works. But mm-hmm. after we played it, when I explained it to Donna, it was very easy to teach. She grasped it real quick. I thought we would have a, a challenge with the, the specialist cards because those are probably, in my opinion, one of the most complicated aspects to understand how the specialists work and how you'll use them for scoring. Knocked it out of the park. Easy for her. Building the neighborhood was pretty straightforward. She got the concept of all the various types of scoring that you could do, depending on how your neighborhood was. There can be a little hate drafting if you want to have that in there, but most of the time I'm dead serious. You are heads down on your board. So if you enjoy games that have that interaction, I'm not thinking Silicon Vania would be one that you would want to look into because, because it is, it's a solitaire game. It reminds me of my game of the year last year, Guilds of Merchant Explorers. I think Bidding for tiles was the most kind of interaction that you had Mm. because there were just certain tiles people were going for because once those game objectives are set in place, once you start using them, you really want to get those tiles that you can uh, help you with in-game scoring. I'm worried this is a type of game that won't show up on anybody's radar, and that's a shame if it doesn't because if you like bidding games... The fact that it's not just bidding for one thing, you're actually bidding for two, and the way it's resolved is really clever. The theme to me, Tony, is kind of odd. The <laughs> vampires with the Silicon Vania, I, I don't understand the theme at all. I almost kind of wish it was just city planning, you know, where you were just trying to build a neighborhood. I don't know really the purpose of the vampire thing. That may be a turnoff to people because it's an odd theme. It disappears. It totally, it totally disappears. But- so I'll just say this. If you like bidding, look at it. If you like tile placement, look at it. Those two things are in this game and really cleverly done. That is Siliconvania from WizKids by J.B. Howe. I am joined once again by my wife, Vanessa, to cover a new game from designers, Michael Kessling and Wolfgang Kramer, published by Capstone Games. And the name of the game is Wondering Towers. What do my wondering eyes appear but... And what's the line? Eight tiny reindeer. That's it. What to my wondering eye should appear, but a miniature sleigh and eight tiny reindeer. That's right. Is that right? Yeah, but this has With a little old driver so lively and quick, I knew in a moment it must be St. Nick. You must be watching uh, Hallmark Christmas movies (gasps) in July. No, no, I am not watching Christmas by Starlight Christmas in July. Did you pause it before you came in here to No, but I've seen it a couple (laughs) times before, so it's all right. (laughs) All right. So this is a game that plays... 
plays two to six players in about 30 minutes. And before we, we explain what it is, I need to draw a picture of what this board looks like because it'll make more sense when we explain what's going on. All right, you draw a picture. Give us a good mental picture. All right, here we go. So picture on the table, a circular board made up of hex spaces. And at the top of that circular board, you're going to have a black cardboard tower called the Raven's Keep. And then going clockwise from around that black Raven's Keep, you're going to have these nice little, you, you get these nice little uh, castle keeps. Yes, they are really cute. They're you actually have to assemble them and stuff yeah, so that these yeah. 3D stands, you have nine of these little pieces that go clockwise around the board. And then to start the game, you're going to have a handful of meeples based on the number of players. Okay. And you're going to take turns placing them on top of the towers. There are some placement restrictions. The tower that's closest to the six o'clock spot on the circle can only hold one meeple. The one at the very top of the circle can hold three. And then once that's set up, we can begin to play the game, which... The whole goal of this game that I've drawn this picture out is you're going to try to move your colored meeples clockwise around the board and get them into that black tower called the Raven's Keep. Now, in this picture, you don't always have to move to a tower. You said you're going to move around the towers. You might move on a tile. So you're going to go around the board on the towers or the tiles. Thank you. Yes. You're welcome. Thank you. And the way you move <laughs> is you're going to be dealt some cards. And on your turn, you're going to play two cards. The cards will give you the option to move a meeple or move a tower or one or the other. You get to pick which one you want mm -hmm. to do. So yeah, you choose three cards. You get three cards. You look at them, choose two you want to play. And then you just move the tower or move the meeple. That sounds pretty simple. But the thing about these towers is they stack on top of each other. <laughs> very cool and because they stack on top of each other when you move a tower you might put it on top of a tower that already has existing meeples on it capturing them or covering them up and then you have to remember where your meeples are within those towers that's right because again the goal is to get your meeples into the raven's keep so that means you have to get them out from under that tower and the only way you can do that now is to play a card that can move a tower and you could pick up the tower that's above your meeples and move it out of the way. But what's interesting is if you have a stack of towers, you can pick up any of those towers, but you just have to take everything that's on top of it along with it as you move. We were playing with Adam and our daughter-in-law, Larissa. Mm -hmm. We were talking with her about playing games mm -hmm. and it was her, not really her first time to play a game, but it was a little different for her. I don't think she's played any type of game like this. Yeah. Like a hobby style game that we're right. used to playing. Yeah. yeah. And so she was the first to get one of her meeples into Raven's Keep. Mm -hmm. And once they're and in Raven's Keep, that's it. They just kind of stay there. Didn't something, didn't we do something to Raven's Keep? Well, after you do put a meeple inside of Raven's Keep, Raven's Keep actually rotates clockwise around the board. So it doesn't stay in the same space either. Correct. That's, that's what I was getting at. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I was waiting for you to say. So then you have all of these towers moving around, all of your meeples moving around, and you're trying to get into the tower. And we never had the option, but there was one where you and I had started playing and then they joined us, but we had the one where you could go backwards. The option. So let's talk about that for a second. You're yes. also given these potion tokens. <gasps> yes, the potion, the potion. And when you capture or cover up another meeple, you get to flip over your potion token to field. 
at the beginning of the game, two tile action tiles are placed in, in the board that on your turn for free, you can spend potions equal to the value of that uh, action that you want to take and do something with it. We, there's one where you can move a tower backwards, or typically you want to move a forward. You could, there's one where you can move a meeple. There's one you can move a, a couple of spaces back. So it's just random actions that you can take with these field potions. But I, now that I've mentioned that, there's actually two conditions to actually trigger the end of the game. Have all your meeples in there and have all your potions filled, which means you need to cover up other people's meeples in order to flip your potion to the field side. Yeah. So you get these potion tokens. You have to make sure that you turn them over to fill to fill them. Mm -hmm. And the way you do that is to cover up. Mm -hmm. yeah. And the rules specifically say, and you mentioned this earlier, you can never peek under a tower. So it's a little bit of a memorization game. Because yeah. your meeples will get covered up. Oh, yeah. And when it's in a taller stack, you may forget, uh-oh, which tower is that guy on at this point? We had a lot of fun playing it. And it seems like the Raven's Keep was moving, and we were all close to getting in there, but Larissa ended up winning. That's right. That's right. Hart never played a game like this and ended up <laughs> winning the whole game, which was a really cool experience for her. Yep. And we all thought it was a lot of fun. What are the ages for this game? Eight plus. Yeah, and I think that's right. Mm -hmm. I think that's right. It was it was really cute. The artwork was really great. It we had a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. And again, thirty minute game. So this is a really good family game. We just showed that is a good entry level game. And is it two to four, or two to six players? Two to six players. Two to six. Yeah, and I think it would play quick with two it's, to six players. It's going to take a little bit longer, but. The more people that you have playing, the less meeples you actually have. So they kind of balance it like that. I did get tickled because Adam was Adam was really thinking on one of them. And you told Larissa about analysis paralysis. AP, we baby. Had, we, had, we had a little bit of AP in Wandering Towers for a little bit. Everyone was counting, trying to think, okay, if I play this card, I'm going to count up. And yeah, it was fun. It was a uh, lot of fun. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say Wandering Towers is such a great... <laughs> Title for it. It is Wandering, Wandering Towers. Towers. <laughs> so that is, once again, Wandering Towers from Michael Kiesling, Wolfgang Kramer, and publisher Capstone Games. Tony and I are anxiously awaiting for the new Imperial Settler Miners game to be put on pre-order. It's not there yet, but I went over to check out at shopportalgames.com and under shop games, a whole list comes down. And Tony, have you noticed most of Portal's games are like on sale right now? I, I did because I mentioned that last last show. And, and they're still on sale. It, what's crazy is the one of the most recent games that he put out, Eleven, which is a very hot game, is on sale for only $31. Regularly $50, on sale for $31. Mm-hmm. That's not an old game or anything. Like I could see it's like, oh, maybe a, a really, really old game that he has on sale, but a new one? That's crazy. I agree with you. So if you're interested in any of the Portal games from last year or current releases that he has, such as Eleven, you need to head over to Portal Games. They have them in stock for you. Be sure to check out um, their other games, their specials. You might even be able to download some print play, some supports to Robinson Crusoe, which you just heard about on this show, where it will be on my shelf as a worker placement game. If you haven't played some of his older games, be sure to check those out. Be sure to go out there and grab something new to be put on your shelves to experience. That's over at shopportalgames.com. Mm -hmm. 
So a few episodes ago, Tony and I said, all right, we've cleaned out our collection of games. That's it. But now we kind of want to start over. So we talked about the first five games that we would buy. All right, we had that. Those are on our shelves. We did buy the little bit larger Kalex shelving units. So we actually have space for some other games. So we said, okay, again, we're trying to keep things to a minimum here. So what we're going to be doing for, gosh, as long as we can keep coming up with different types of game mechanics, we're going to pick a game mechanic and then talk about what are the top three games that we would buy to fill that game mechanic and put on our shelves that would satisfy uh, our desire whenever we want to play that mechanic. And I feel like because you and I are both huge fans of worker placement games, that would be a great place to start. Now, here's the thing that's going to get tricky is you have to remember, you already have five games on your shelf, Tony. So you don't need to rebuy a game that you already have. Wait a minute. Did we write that down where I said what I bought? I <laughs> I know that you bought Pillars of the Earth. Yes, I did. Uh, so you already had that on your shelf. So you don't need to include that in this worker placement list. Oh, Okay. I hope you remember what else I bought. Because I'm at the store and I can't see my shelves right now. And I'm trying to think which ones that I, that I want to, to put on my shelf. Mm -hmm. Now I'm going to have to go back and, and think about which games. Now, th this was not in the show notes. It was not in the show notes. But then, then wow. I started thinking, well, I just started thinking, if this is really how we're doing it, we already have five games on our shelves from a few episodes oh. ago. Oh so my. we wouldn't buy duplicates of the same games, right? BGG Advanced Search Game Mechanic. <laughs> Lord. While you do that, to replace, I figure, what was Pillars of the Earth. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, to replace that. So, but, but, see, I may have to replace two because I can't remember if, if one of these is on there. I I'll, honestly cannot remember the uh, Seven Wonders. Yes. Seven Pillars Wonders, of the Earth. Pillars of the Earth. Ticket to Ride. Carcassonne. Carcassonne. And what was your fifth game? Was it a, it was a party game? It was just one. Just one. Yep. There's okay. your five. Okay. Five. Okay. I'm good now. Okay. Okay. Woo. Yeah. All right. So I'll go ahead and go first. Right. So again, worker placement. So you said we need to clarify what is worker placement. It's any piece that we can put down on the board to take an action. Is that correct? Whether it be a wooden meeple or a dice? Yes. All right. So my first one is, now with all these, I think I'm going to pick a game that if I want to introduce somebody to this type of mechanic, I want to make sure to have something easy enough in order to teach people. Now, typically people would say Stone Age. That is a really good first game to start out worker placement style games. It is, but I have used Lords of Waterdeep in order to teach worker placement to those who have never played. So I would like to include Lords of Waterdeep if, with the expansion, if allowed. Sure. Because the, the expansion makes it so much better. They did uh, a big box. They did a big box. Yeah. As kind of an intro to worker placement, I think, still think it's a fun game because classic worker placement, you put a worker down, only that person can go there. I like the idea that you can put out tiles on the board. There, then it can be used by other people to place their workers, but you get a benefit from it. I think that's all very clever. I think once people understand the flow of the game, they can get it. So for me, I would like to put and buy 
Lords of Waterdeep back on my shelf. I will let you do that. I'm thank you. Uh, you you're welcome. Now, because my first one has been out for quite a while, it's very expensive, but that's okay. I've sold off a huge collection and restarting, which I'm getting in trouble with anyway, but that's okay. I can do that. But my first one is one of my favorites and mostly because it's worker placement with dice. And that of course is, do you want to go ahead and say it? You, you know, you love doing it. Lorenzo El Magnifico. Yep, 2016, one of my favorite. Fell in love with that game from the very beginning. It's one of the more complex games. So with Pillars of the Earth already on the shelves, I'm now going to ratchet it up and bring in my favorite mechanic of the dice and have the super combo at the end of the game, which can happen and just enjoy that worker placement game. Really, really, Lorenzo El Magnifico is one of my favorites. Well, Tony, well, I know Marty. that we, we typically say that we should not have the same games on our shelf because, well, because we can always play with each other. But I too, sir, have the game Lorenzo El Magnifico on my shelf for the exact same reason. I stinking love that game. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's more ratcheted up worker placement but it's also an engine builder. So I'm already thinking ahead to going, oh, well, if I have this game on the shelf, when we do engine builders down the road, I already have this one. So I don't, I could get to a buy something else in its stead. So same reason, I think it's a classic. And we get to include the expansions, I assume. Lorenzo with the expansion. With the expansion. I'll let you, you and your expansions. I mean, you're, you're just breaking all the rules, but that's But okay. didn't we say the expansion for that is kind of a must-have? It makes the game better. Yeah, it, it makes okay. the... But if you can't find it, that's okay. Okay. So, so the next one is one because I, I have to have the co-op experience. Ah, a co-op worker placement. Mm-hmm. And that Interesting. Is, and that is going to be uh, Robinson Crusoe. Even, but you said Donna will not play that. I don't care. I got to okay. have, it's a worker placement. It's one of those games that has the ability for, you know, the co-op experience. I think I just said that, but it's, it's hard. It's challenging. It's one that you have to work to the point of survival, but there is always that chance that, oh, I don't know that you you wipe out, but it is still, it's different enough that you can mask it, not as a worker placement game. Hey, this is a co-op survival game. And, and if you don't do the collect wood first one, there's there's some scenarios that are not as brutal. So mm-hmm. you can you can bring those in. So Robinson, I would count it as a worker placement because you are doing it. You're placing tiles out there to accomplish feats. You're exploring. You're doing whatever. So that to me is a, a worker placement that will be on the shelf. I 100% agree. And that is a really good one. And nice thing about that one is, You'll get many, 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 many hours out of that game. Yeah, because yeah, so but hard. not many wins. <laughs> not many I was wins. I was cleaning out my closet today of all the you know men you know, you know hey t shirts does a, a, a man need to have? Well, based on my count, you need at least fifty. But I'll, <laughs> what? Okay, squirrel. Yes, dude. I just went through all my dwar- dwarves. Wow, let's let's say words dwarves. And gave away a bunch of T-shirts to um, Goodwill. Who's the place? Goodwill. Oh Salvation Lord. Army. No, no Goodwill. 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 I didn't give away enough. I still don't have room in my drawers. And I'm like, some of them are like sentimental because mm-hmm. my kids or boys, my kids are boys, same thing. 
my boys gave them to me or family gave them to me or that I have a memory of them, even though I may never wear them again, I don't want to get rid of them. I need to do a second run and be a little more critical <laughs> and clear up some more t-shirt space because I just have too many I will never wear and I just got to get let go of the sentimental part. And so I found one of my um, Porter ones with the, it's the Robinson design where it um, talks yeah. about, you know, the number of times you've died and still counting. And it's the yeah. mark of how many times you've died on Robinson. So I was like, yeah, that, that hits home. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. All right. So my third and last one is I'm already, I'm already thinking ahead, thinking ahead, a, a crossover between two genres knowing that I'll have this game on the shelf for a later mechanic. Even though it's very recent, Lost Ruins of Arnak was a huge hit for me. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people say, oh, it's a very good deck builder, which it is, mm-hmm. but it is also 100% a worker placement game. And um, I'm going to throw in the expansion on that one too. Well, don't roll your eyes. Of course all you these, are. The, all these, the expansion made it better because that's where it includes the... Uh, the new starter types or the, or the different leader types so that uh, every time you play, it may feel a little bit different uh, with the different deck of cards and everything like that. What's nice about this is this is a deck builder that I will already have on my shelf. So I can replace use something else when we do the deck builder section, but I think it's a very clever game. Uh, I know the year that it came out Dune uh, and lost ruins Varnak kind of fought against each other. And I think on BGG Dune is actually higher than lost ruins is. It's just a very beloved game. Nothing wrong with that game, but for me, I preferred Lost Ruins. So that was my third on the list. All right. So number three for me, it, I went back and forth on, on various ones. And I was like, okay, what do I need on here? What do I need for the people who aren't into, you know, that maybe Pillars of the Earth, the resource collecting, converting resources forward. They like that, but they need something different. They need to be challenged differently. Mm-hmm. and I don't want them to be overwhelmed with a whole bunch of factions because I was like, I was really leaning towards empires, you know, to, right. to, to put that on the shelf. And I'm like, ah, that'll be tough for a lot of people to have to deal with. So I've settled on Fresco. Oh, do you own Fresco now? Yes, I own Fresco. Okay. I own Stone Age, Fresco, all those all those fun old games. And I got I got Fresco because actually... Donna said, can, can you find something that's about the same difficulty as Pillars of the Earth that we can use? And I thought Fresco would be one of those that would fit in there, especially about how to manipulate or waking up the people and how you would go to the market and, and the various actions that you have to deal there. And it's nice to have, like the church is built in Pillars of the Earth. Here the painting is resolved. You have to mix the paints. You know, It takes the Pillars of the Earth resource conversion up one more notch, not as strong as Robinson, of course, for the beatdown that you need to have. And from Lorenzo of being able to see the combos and the chains that you need to work forward toward in that game. So for me, just so that we can listen to the say, um, okay, you can't, you bought these now for the next series, you can't buy these. I need to go ahead and say it. So that's going to be pillars of the earth is on my shelves. Fresco's mm-hmm. on my shelves. And then, I've got Robinson on my shelves, and then I'll be darned if I don't need Prevagen. <laughs> so this is why in our show notes, Lorenzo I, will make a, I, I, will, I will make a list of these. So in future segments, we can reference to make sure we don't, uh, we don't duplicate there. 
Okay. Now, you, All right. You, and I'll let you, since I picked worker placement for the first one, uh, the next time we do this, you can pick the game mechanic for the next section. Actually, we're going to throw it over in our Discord channel. Throw it over our Discord channel. So join our Discord channel. Let us know uh, in the episode's discussion what game mechanic would you like us to go out and buy to include on our uh, shelf uh, for our next uh, topic to discuss? And, and we will list the ones that you can vote on so that you don't have to try to, of the 500 game mechanics listed at BGG, you don't have to try to narrow it down. We will throw the ones out there that we feel that should be discussed and you can vote on. In past episodes, I've talked about how I really enjoy playing Magic the Gathering the commander format. And typically when I talk about this game, it's because I've just finished playing a four player game with my sons. It just so happens we all happen to be together. We all happen to try out for the very first time, the very popular Lord of the Rings commander deck. So they're going to come on with me, explain what some of the benefits of playing commander. If like magic's not your thing, why this might be a good format for you and our quick initial thoughts on the Lord of the Rings expansions. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go around the table. I'm going to introduce, introduce each person, and each of them is going to tell you what their favorite color combinations are for the decks that they like to play. So first is Brett. Yeah, so my favorite color combination of Magic is Bant, which is blue, green, and white. Uh, I think they're really versatile, and they're, they're, I just like the color combination. It's all aesthetic for me. Travis. Uh, I'm Travis, and my favorite color combination is... Abzan, which is white, black, and green, and similar to Brett, I was drawn to it because the forest plains and swamps all look very nice on the table together. Plus, I'm a big fan of enchantments and graveyard interaction and removal, and that's typically the colors for those. And Adam? My favorite color identity is Naya, which is red, green, and white. Also, as a fun side note, all of our favorites have... White, white green. green, yeah, with an, the another color in there. That's interesting. I originally started playing those kinds of decks because um, Naya is the typical three-color combination for dinosaurs. Dinosaurs are typically in one of those three colors, and I liked playing the dinosaur decks, and then I just liked the way those decks of those three colors tend to interact. How do y'all remember all the names of all the combinations? How many are there? It's I think it's 32. Five monocolor, 10 duocolor, 10 tricolor, five four-color, one monocolor, or sorry, one five color and one zero color. I don't know if that adds up to 32, but it's close enough. Wow. Okay. All right. So for those who are, are listening and may have heard the terms EDH, Commander, it's a type of format in Magic. And Travis is going to explain what that format is. Because typically when you think of Magic, you think of two people constructing a deck, sitting across from each other and playing a game. But the Commander format's a little special. If you're familiar with traditional constructed magic formats. There's a lot of them, but in general, they all are minimum of 60 cards, no more than four copies of each card, except for basic lands. The vast majority of constructed formats follow that template, and they're all two-player. Commander is different in that it is meant to be played with four-player. It can be played with any number of players, but four is the optimal number. You have 100 cards, no duplicates except for basic lands, and you select a legendary creature to be your commander, and the cards in your deck must be of the colors on your commander. You hear sometimes the term EDH, which stands for? Elder Dragon Highlander. Which is a uh, player-created format that 
Wizards jumped on and said, okay, we're going to kind of adopt this. Correct. And even the ban list, I still believe, is ran by not Wizards. Gotcha. It's ran by the, the rules committee, I believe they're called. What are some of the pros of this format that you would recommend to people who may not be in the in the Magic the Gathering? Because I don't feel like chasing cards or whatever. So why is Commander one of those that might be good for people to try out? A number one for me, four players. You just include more people and that just makes more opportunities to have a good time with buddies. The big thing for me is that I just think it's way more accessible. If one of your problems with Magic or one of your hesitancies is you got to keep up with all these cards coming out and all these ban lists and like what's legal now, what's not. Commander kind of bypasses a lot of that because you just have this enormous pool of cards that you play around with. And also it's easier for me to make deck lists in Commander because you you start with just one card, the Commander. And you base your entire deck off that one card. So there are Commander decks that I've made just because I saw a legendary creature and I thought that would be interesting to build a deck around and I did and it kind of leads you to investigate different common it's just way more natural of a thought process for me mm -hmm. to build a deck for a commander than standard which kind of feels a little mechanical sometimes I just think it's fun I just think it's fun to have the legendary creature and it's like your guy your your character like that's my that's my dude right there and this is the deck I built around him like your dog deck yes I have a commander deck that is dog tribal what that means is that all creatures are dogs and all other cards are spells meant to augment the abilities of dogs so probably the favorite my favorite deck I've ever made it's when raid is abysmal but it's still a ton of fun to play and that's all that matters one thing that I like is it seems to me that this format's very casual uh, it's it's not extremely competitive you're gonna sit around four friends and just have a lot of fun because typically commander decks can be very chaotic, very swingy. You may think like, hey, I'm doing really well. And then somebody says, yeah, okay, all creatures are just removed from play, which some people get frustrated at. Tony has said in the past, he gets frustrated at that, but I'm just telling, that's just the nature of the game. When talking about EDH and the swinginess of it, I think it is important to mention since you only have one copy of each card and your deck is has 40 more cards than it usually does, and this leads into the casual aspect of it. It's super random. It's super variable. You're never going to see your whole deck if you're playing at lower levels. I'm leaving out higher powered decks in this conversation because we do keep it casual when we play EDH. So you don't see your whole deck like over the course of several games. Potentially you can just not see certain cards every once in a while. While that might, might not seem like fun. It keeps things different. It keeps things fresh. Each game does not feel the same, and I think that can help a lot of the time if you're not into typical constructed magic, since if you are competitive and play like that, you'll run across the same decks, the same four copies of every card, the same suites of lands, that sort of thing. But around the EDH table, you'll be seeing everything shaking up every game. One thing I also like is Wizards is now releasing pre-constructed uh, commander decks. So if you don't want to try to put together 100 cards, it seems like with every set now, they're releasing pre-made commander decks. They'll tell you what the legendary commander is, and you go out and just buy it, and you can play it. You can modify it if you want to, but you don't have to, which is one of the things I appreciate. So I have like four or five commander decks, and I just have a lot of fun with those. I think that lends to the accessibility of EDH is just the prevalence of options when it comes to pre-constructed decks and their relative balance among each other. And Wizards has been doing pre-cons, pre-constructed decks since, I believe, 2012. But the production of them has ramped up significantly since 
I don't have any numbers for this, but EDH seems to be one of the more popular formats because of its more party-oriented gameplay. So they're really cranking them out every set. Yeah, one thing we found with playing the pre-constructed decks, uh, a while back we realized that we actually kind of had more fun when we just kind of played the random pre-constructed decks blind because they were so utterly balanced to the degree that we just kind of felt like we were doing the same thing. I mean, there is competitive EDH like there is a there's a subgenre where you try to make the best but to me that's a little oxymoronic because I feel like the the nature of the format lends itself to just a little bit of chaos a little bit of just having fun you I mean you have four players around the table playing 100 card decks with one copy of each card it's it's going to get ridiculous and it's going to get stupid and that's the point that's why it's fun however I will say I don't know that if you've never played magic and your friends want to play that going out and just buying four commander decks is the best way to learn how to play the game because there's a lot that can still go on in these games just because of text on the card. I don't know that commander's the way to learn the game. You still need to sit down and learn how to play the basics of magic before you even really try this. It is not the best way if you've never played magic before because there are, like you said, a lot of cards to keep track of and to keep things interesting, they have to print more mechanics on each of the cards. It's a lot to keep track of. Board states get very complicated, but monetarily, each pre-constructed deck is around 45 to 50 bucks. And if y'all remember the old starter decks they used to do that have been kind of replaced by the commander decks, those were like 12 to $15. And those were simple. And you could understand those. But these, it's hard to, if you've never played before, wrap around what, what even your goal is as the deck. Because every deck doesn't win the same. So it's hard to, rationalize a lot of it when you're trying to also understand the rules of the game like this so there's nothing out there for those who want to learn there's not like a quick starter deck anymore there is in quasi edh form i i don't remember what year was released it was released within the past three years it was a set of like five single colored streamlined commander-ish decks mm -hmm. that were meant to be played in a multiplayer format and do contain simpler cards and simpler mechanics for you to get introduced in that more board gamey get your friends around format okay are they still available i am not sure okay all right so let's jump to the uh lord of the rings real quick so again, this just came out, an extremely hot set, very popular. One of the reasons why is because the collector booster boxes, and there is going to be one one ring that's out there that people now are saying we'll pay $2 million for. So those collector boxes, as of today, on TCG Player was going for $490 a box. I confirmed it. The Wizards of the Coast Game Night Free for All 2022 Learn to Play with Decks for Five Players is available at least through Amazon, and for $50 total. There you go. So that's a good way to learn how and to play. It includes five monocolor decks, and because it is advertising five legendary creatures, I do believe it is meant to be a commander-similar format. Commander-adjacent. That loud thud you just heard was my phone hitting the floor, but I think it's okay. All right, so the Lord of the Rings commander decks. There were four of these that were released. Brett, what did you play? So I played the, let me look up the name to be precise. Elven Council. The Elven Council with the alternate commander being Gandalf. I like Gandalf. Made sense. He's not an elf though. Doesn't make sense. Heavy on the elf tribal, which isn't my favorite play type ever. 
but Gandalf's abilities as a commander were fun, if a little maybe random and chaotic. But hey, that that makes it more interesting and makes you have to adapt on the fly. Who was the main commander? Galadriel? Yes. yes. Okay, Galadriel. Yeah. All right, Travis, who'd you play? I played as the Riders of Rohan with the face commander, Eowyn the Shield Maiden. This was a very aggressive deck, also a deck that um, synergized around all your creatures being human and a lot of cards that buffed up your creatures or brought creatures back from your graveyard or protected your creatures. A lot of stuff that deals with a mechanic called Monarch, which makes sense because you can also play as Aragorn in this deck. Very like straightforward, linear swing with your creatures deck, but I think that's some of the most fun. Uh, I played the hosts of Mordor. I'm a huge Tolkien guy, so I feel like a little kid talking about Lord of the Rings all the time. This deck was a little tricksier. It felt like it was designed to kind of bide time and just sit still for a while and use some uh, craftiness with graveyard recursion and targeting other people's graveyards to kind of stay alive until you get the big ticket creatures out that can... Uh, close out the game. Very odd deck to play. I feel like it's one of those where you have to play it a couple times before you start to understand what you're supposed to be doing, but it was still pretty fun. And then I played the Food and Fellowship, which is the Hobbit deck. Uh, the commanders were Frodo and Sam, who could come in together. And, and then the alternate was Bilbo. And it seemed like this deck was a lot about food tokens. And food tokens are a way you can heal. There was a lot of cards in this deck for creating food tokens but the guys that you got out maybe weren't too heavy swingers. I mean, the hobbits aren't very big guys. I did happen to get a card out that was kind of crazy. It was like every time I gain life, however much life I gain, I target somebody else and they lose life. Like I took out Brett because I had a bunch of food tokens, paid for them all, and generated like 18, 19 damage and said, all right, you, you're going to take it all. So it seemed to be less about direct combat and more like indirect damage through like trickery like that. Sorry, so first initial impressions, what, what did you think of the decks? I had a lot of fun. I think the art was great. I think the selection of characters for the writers of Rohan deck, Theoden, Amr, the people you expect were very nice, very thematic. Yeah, the flavor is the selling point for me on all these decks. I love how they've incorporated all of the uh, the mythos surrounding Lord of the Rings. It's clear that they're they're looking to the books as the inspiration here, which is fun. The flavor text are all quotes from the books, which I think is so cool. I just got a kick out of playing cards like that. Uh, the decks themselves I thought were pretty fun. With Commander, I feel like, you know, you play one game and you see, what, quarter of the deck. Yeah. So it takes some time to, like, actually learn them. But, yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I agree. I definitely feel like Gandalf would be a Commander I'd want to play more times just to try to get maybe better hits off of other people's decks or maybe just to see more of my deck. But the art is is great. You know, sucker for anything, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I was going to comment, actually, the art is really, really, really good. And I guess, are all the cards, now y'all know the cards better than I do, are any of these reuse of old art, or is it all new art for this set? I believe it is all new art for yeah. these Commander decks. Wow. Much because, like the uh, 40K set was. Because I am very familiar with the Merciless Executioner art, and that is brand new for the Hosts of Mordor deck. Yeah, so that is really neat. I know they have the concept of, there's some of the cards where if you get them all, you can flip over on the back, it creates a map or something like that or a picture. 
Uh, of course, you've got the one rings that are out there. There's the one ring, but then there are other rings that are out there too, like for the dwarves and the humans. Mm. Uh, there are limited sets of those that are out there that you could chase. But again, that's a lot of the things that people are like, I don't want to get into that. I don't want to be chasing stuff, which is why I think the commander is kind of cool. You could just spend, what is it, $45, $50. I can't remember what this was. The price is fluctuating right now because it just came out. So some of these are hard to find, but it will settle back down. But the nice thing about that is it's just all uh, self-contained in the deck. And this is not the first time they've done this. I think maybe the first big crossover IP was last year when they did Warhammer 40K, which we have all four of. And we played that. In fact, we played that just last while well, I played my deck uh, just last week, uh, which was really cool. So I'm anxious to, we, we all kind of drafted decks or, or just rolled for decks tonight, but I'd like to play again and then just try different decks just to see how they, they play. But then, like you said, uh, like Brett said, you could play, he needs to play Gandalf more because he just needs to see more of the cards of that. Because like I said, there's, there's, you saw hardly any of them uh, in this deck. So yeah, uh, Lord of the Rings Commander, it is very hot right now. If you're having trouble finding them, they typically with the Commander decks will reprint those. They're yes. not limited. And you can find these in like Target, Walmart. Unless I know other saying, people swooped in first, but yeah, yeah they, they will be stocking them at your big box retailer. Yeah, they, they will definitely uh, get reprinted. Any last thoughts on Commander? Any way to sell people on possibly trying out Commander if they've never played before? Uh, come play with us. <laughs> <laughs> like you said, four is the best way to play. I've played two-player Commander, and it's not fun. It's just not right. Yeah. I played wrong. a lot of three-player at my <laughs> old apartment, and it just wasn't right. We, had, we needed to get four. Is there a reason why three felt different than four? I mean, two is obvious because you only can target one other person. Easy to gang up, in my opinion. Oh, that's you right. You need another play. You need another. You need a four player. No, you're right. I've played many three player games, and it tends to be a two on one type situation uh, eventually. Y'all, thanks for doing that. Uh, I hope we could possibly get into some other games before we all. And Adam's getting ready to go back to Montana, so maybe we can squeak in another game before he gets out of here. So, y'all, right now, available: Lord of the Rings, Magic: The Gathering, Commander Set. I happened to get mine from Miniature Market. There's still a pretty good deal out there. I don't know if they have any in stock right now. These will be restocked there, Amazon, and all the big box stores. Guys, thanks for coming on. Thank you. You bet. So I know we've talked a lot about game toppers, and typically we talk about the mats and everything, the accessories. But let's talk about physically the actual game toppers themselves, because there are five different sizes of game toppers that he has. So no matter what your needs are, you're probably going to find one that's your right size. If you just want like a little small square, you've got the 36 by 36 game topper. Then you're going to go up to a 38 by 60. The another uh, bigger square is a 48 by 48. And that's only one th reason I like the 48 by 48. This is really good for miniatures games. <laughs> yes. Because you get you got that nice square for the... I guess several of these can be used for miniatures games, but you got that nice square where you can get the right size mat. Uh, there's some uh, miniatures games that's based on a 4 by 4 play area, so you can use the whole surface uh, for miniature games. Going up to the 36 by 72, which I believe is one of his more popular sizes, is which the homes... Either that or the 38 by 60. And then you've got the beast, the 48 by 72, if you need that huge table. And those prices range anywhere from 
all the way up to uh, 1099 so you got a, a various array of sizes and as we've said before y'all some of these have the rail accessory where you can split them apart add the rail so you can take a larger topper and make it uh, even smaller now here's the thing if you're going to be going to any conventions you may may want to make sure to keep an eye out for these because there are a lot of vendors that use game toppers in their booth for demo tables for example I know that Arcane Wonders is going to have a room coming up at Gen Con where they're showing off their stuff and there's going to be a lot of game toppers in there so if you're at Gen Con go check out Arcane Wonders the games that are going to be showing off will be on the game toppers and I guarantee you're going to see them around the convention floor in other booths if you want to check out these game toppers, make sure to head over to GameToppersLLC.com. Check out all the options you have for each of them. And again, you got the mat still sitting out there, which we use every single week. So if you don't want to buy the, the bigger game topper, but you need a good playing service, check out those really nice neoprene mats. Again, GameToppersLLC.com. Well, I'm not going to belabor it. I mean, episode 296, we're is done with... Is it belabor with, or beleaguer? I don't know. Beleaguer? Which is it? Bela belabor? It's belabor. The, it's the word that to says... Talk, I'm to, not gonna make oh, it, it is. It is. To talk or write about at length or excessively harp on. Which belabor one is it? Belabor the point. Belabor. Belabor yeah. the point. Well, then keep mm -hmm. rolling dice. Oh, my gosh. It, it's really going to end that fast? You got nothing. Nothing for the outro. Keep rolling dice. Are you serious? That's it? Uh, well, you can keep doing this. I can, can keep saying, keep rolling dice. Taking names. Hey, y'all. Thanks for listening. Make sure to come and join our Discord channel. We keep promoting it. Why? Because we're having so much fun over there. We're talking about different topics. We're doing giveaways, etc. So head over to RollDiceTechnics.com. You see the invite to the Discord. There you can support the show over at BuyMeAMoonPie.com. Follow us on our socials at Dice and Names. Twitter and Instagram. Smash that like button. No, this isn't YouTube. Never mind. Just, hey, come hang out with us. All right, Marty. The Bowberry biscuit is gone and it was amazing, but I want you to feel good about yourself. I want you to realize that you held off on the temptation. You only had to sit back, watch me eat it to understand that that was almost 400 calories. Now, don't you feel better? Actually, Bojangles closes in an hour and a half. I still got time to get there and grab my two free ones. Bye.